0: Hi, this is Corey with Restored... Gut. am going to have to do it again. <laughs> couldn't remember my name. Don't worry, I'll edit it out. <laughs> Hi, this is Corey with Restored Gospel Podcast. We are glad you're back. Last episode, we talked about the importance to understand that God speaks... Not only to one nation, but to all nations so that we can have his word. Today we're going to continue with that topic, but speak more specifically. So why this Book of Mormon and, and how it came forth and why it specifically was another record with the Bible, what its purpose was and why we have it and what's going to happen from it. So we're glad you're with us and we hope you'll join us now. And here is the pastor of the podcast, Mike Barrett.
1: Don't ever call me that again.
0: <laughs>
1: welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. <laughs> welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. <laughs> we are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) I'm fine. Let it be known far and wide, I am no pastor. (laughs) So uh, what are we talking about today? Talk about these records and what's the message of the Book of Mormon we're going to discover today?
0: Last time we talked about how God spoke to not just one nation, but to set eventually all nations, for the reason that they could be judged by His word and have a righteous judgment. Uh, we we want that. We want to be judged by God, not man, uh, but so that we can know how to come to Him. And uh, we live in a day where those words haven't all come forth yet, but we believe they're uh, to be coming forth someday, and all that is a testimony of our our great God. So. Today, I wanted to continue for a little bit to talk about then specifically, so why this Book of Mormon, and why why is this a record, and maybe even one of these first records to come forth. Um, there's a scripture we started in last week from the second book of Nephi, chapter 12 in the RLDS, and we're uh, in the second book of Nephi, chapter 29, if you use the LDS version. But... Um, we talked about the scriptures that discussed that God would speak to more than just one nation. He would speak to the nation of the Nephites, you know, this remnant of Joseph. He would speak to the Jews, you know, these people who gave us the Bible. But he would speak to other tribes of Israel and other nations of the world. And eventually all these would be gathered in one and that he would demonstrate by gathering his word together and his people together, that he would remember and fulfill his words, these covenants he made with these nations. And so in this large puzzle of prophecy, we have some pieces of the puzzle. And one of these pieces is, is this book we hold in our hands, the, the Book of Mormon. Um, so in this book... It tells its own story in a sense that it gives us an idea of where it started. A a young man named Nephi who starts tapping records in plates of metal uh, as his family is leaving Jerusalem and contains marvelous understandings of his uh, visions, uh, of his understanding of who God is, of prophecies he sees of his own people. And he's commanded to keep these records, and eventually other records are are brought into those but what this collection of records by this people becomes is uh, a condensed down version uh that we call the Book of mormon of of many records well hundreds of years after jesus uh you know brings Nephi's family out and they've lived and and their records are written um There's a man named Enos, E N O S, who is, uh, in terms of uh, volume of pages, one of the smallest contributors to the Book of Mormon. Uh, His writings are limited to, uh, oh, probably only about 46 verses. And within those verses, it's an interesting story. Um, And the reason I want to share this story is because it tells why we have this book, and it it ties back into this larger picture of God bringing Israel back to a knowledge of him. Um, Enos is the guy who, you might recall, was going out one day to hunt beasts in the forest. And he said, but I want to tell you not about my hunting adventure. I want to tell you about the wrestle I had with God before I received a remission of my sin. And he he talks about how he kneeled down before his maker in mighty prayer for first his own soul. He said, the the words of my father that I'd heard sunk deep in me and I wanted to understand. So he said, I went out and I prayed all the day long. I did cry unto him. And when the night came, I did still raise my voice high that it reached the heavens. And he he hears this voice. He said, "Your sins are forgiven, and you're blessed." And he said, "Somehow, at the same time, my guilt was swept away." Now, you know, a few episodes ago, we shared that testimony of a young girl. You mm-hmm. know, remember her? And, and it's like we have the same situation here. It's like someone who didn't know God necessarily, but wanted to know, and calls out, and just in that act of calling out, receives the confirmation of that cannot be explained any other way, but that the guilt was gone. The sin was gone. And it was it was a change of heart. So he experiences this verse, and he, under, and he asks, how is this? And he says, it's because of your faith in Jesus Christ, who um, you haven't even seen. And that faith has made you whole. Now, that's about the first 10 or 11 verses of this book of Enos. But um, so... What happens in this story is there's a progression. His prayers first start for himself. He's praying about his own soul and wanting to understand. And then all of a sudden, his mind shifts, and he says in verse 12, It came to pass that when I heard these words, I began to feel a desire for the welfare of my brethren the Nephites. So, first he's praying for himself. Now he's praying for, you know, family, friends, society, culture. And he says, I did pour out my whole soul unto God for them. And he said, When I was struggling in the spirit, behold, the voice of the Lord came into my mind again, saying, I will visit thy brethren according to their diligence in keeping my commandments. And he said, I've given them this land. It is a holy land, and I curse it not, save it be for the cause of iniquity. But he said, you know, if they transgress, I'm going to bring them sorrow upon their heads. And so he's praying for the Nephites. And then Enos says, after I heard these words, my faith began to be unshaken. And in the 17th verse, now it says, and I prayed unto him with many long strugglings for my brethren the Lamanites. So in his progression, he starts praying for himself, then he starts praying for his own people, Then all of a sudden he's thinking about these people who now, after hundreds of years, had become wicked and corrupt and far away from this gospel of, of, of Jesus. Enos writes, verse 18, It came to pass that after I had prayed and labored with all diligence, the Lord said unto me, I will grant thee according to thy desires because of thy faith. Now, I want to say this here. Enos isn't the only person who prayed for the Lamanites. But it's stated so concisely here, and not not just his prayer, but God's response and why we have this Book of Mormon. It's stated in in this very short chapter. So now in praying for these people who had fallen, the Lamanites, Enos writes in verse 19, And this was the desire of... This is the desire which I desired of him, that if it should so be that my people, the Nephites, should fall into transgression and by any means be destroyed and the Lamanites should not be destroyed, that the Lord God would preserve a record of my people, the Nephites, even if it so be by the power of his holy arm, that it might be brought forth at some future day unto the Lamanites, that perhaps they might be brought unto salvation. And so in Enos's experience in first receiving his own change of heart and then praying for his people, he prays in a prophetic way saying, hey, if, if my, my culture, if they're gone someday, will you please remember the Lamanites and the, the ones who are, had fallen and he states, he said in verse twenty-one, because presently our strugglings are vain in restoring them to the true faith. They swore in their wrath, if it were possible, they would destroy our records and us, and also the traditions of our fathers. Now it's interesting that they have, you know, even sworn that they would get rid of these records if they could. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of a fascinating uh, plot that's thickening here because Enos is saying, hey. I'm praying for myself, I'm praying for my people, I'm praying for our enemies. Would they all have this change of heart like I just had, right? And and the enemies not only want to kill us, they don't even want us to have a record of 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 this stuff. You know, they would they would destroy it too. So Enos writes and he says, Wherefore, I knowing that the Lord God was able to preserve our records, I cried unto him continually. Um I I love the just the flavor of this. That he didn't stop. You know, it's interesting when he when he first received this, my guilt was swept away. He didn't just go on his way. Okay, I'm done. I'm going home. Hunting was better than I could have imagined. It just keeps saying, and I prayed to him continually. I cried to him continually. I didn't let up. I didn't stop. You know, this urge to 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 know that blessings would be bestowed upon the people of his day and in the future. It was just. Ingrained within him now. And he said in verse 24, For he said unto me, Whatsoever thing ye shall ask in faith, believing that you shall receive, in the name of Christ you shall receive it. And I had faith, and I did cry unto God, that he would preserve the records. So this is very interesting right here, that these records would be preserved. Now Enos in the Book of Mormon comes right after the book of Jacob. Now, why does that matter? Well, chronologically, maybe it just fits. But what's important, and this is something I just kind of saw in myself a couple weeks ago, is that the story of Enos follows up the end of the book of Jacob, which is this parable of the olive tree This uh, Enos, E-N-O-S, is kind of like Zenos without the Z, Z Z-E-N-O-S, and maybe that's just coincidental. But Zenos puts in prophetic form a story of how Israel who fell from God is going to return to God. And it's all told in this story of an olive tree. And if you've read the Book of Mormon, you know, sometimes we just kind of skip over it. It's kind of like this flyover scripture, like, oh, it's just a story about trees and dying and roots and branches cutting off and all this. Well, it's more than that. It's it's the story of how God's going to bring Israel together someday, and it's all a metaphor. But what in that story, without going through the parable of the olive tree, what saves the day? what makes these trees that once bore good fruit and then bore terrible fruit and this and come back to bringing or bearing good fruit again is the fact that the roots of the trees never die in this story right the roots were alive and and for years i always wondered well, what are the roots what are the roots what are the roots because the roots were something of the house of israel the branches were the people and and they were cut off and spread out, and and that's fulfilled in the Nephites being departing Jerusalem and and coming to America and other people that we don't know about. But when they're brought back, that's the grafting back in. And when wild branches are brought in, that's the Gentiles being brought into the same covenant, the same house of Israel. But they weren't the original tree, right? We were wild and grafted in. But eventually, none of these trees bear good fruit. Well, how do the trees begin to bear good fruit again? The master says, well, it's because the roots are still alive. And if I bring branches that I scattered somewhere else and attach them back to this tree that has the or live roots, maybe it'll start bearing the original fruit again. That's what the story of Zena says. Well, now the story of Enos says, I'm going to preserve the records. I'm going to preserve the records. And it's, it's more than symbolic that the records were hidden Where? In the ground, right? Just like the roots of a tree, right? That's where the roots grow in the ground. And the records were hidden in the ground. And the part that was still alive was the roots. Well, the part that's still alive is the covenants God made to the house of Israel, which are contained in these records. And this this is life. This is why this book of Book Mormon is a living story. It's alive. It's real. It's it's got power. And it's not dead. It's the thing that brings life back to Israel one day. When the people of Israel get restored to what was this root, these records, that's what brings them back to God. And that's what brings us back to God.
1: I like, um, we often talk about Enos as this man and how could he pray all day and all night? You know, it said he cried unto the Lord. I don't know if it was a continual prayer. He was just out walking around in the woods hunting and. Um, you know, from time to time or the whole time his mind was drawn out. But it was only after he was uh, forgiven and he was made clean that he had a desire for the welfare of his brethren. Mm. And then he said he poured out his whole soul. Something about this, this promise that God would preserve the records and, and all of the promises he made to Enos all came about after this man had been forgiven and made clean after he'd had that experience, and I wonder what the struggling was. He says, "I was struggling in the spirit um, after my struggles." Uh, I wonder what that struggling was, or what that looked like to him, you know, in that prayer time.
0: You know what's interesting is that I, my eyes just fell on a scripture on a verse here, which I I never even saw this before now. But after all these strugglings and strugglings and strugglings in the end of verse 27, he says, after God makes this covenant that he'll preserve these records, Enos writes, wherefore, my soul did rest. Yeah. It finally received comfort.
1: There was something in the culture um, back then that, um, and I was listening this week about the Bible, that um, even when uh, you know sinful men would come to God and ask for something you know, if God had set them up to be leaders, you know, it, he would grant them, or or it looks like at times men convince God to change his mind, Um or, you know, sometimes Moses or the other ones would even, like, kind of look like they were arguing, you know, with God, and that's not, not the case. Um, I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, God would never go against his own plan, but, boy, he lets us struggle sometimes, doesn't he? And... um mm-hmm and well, therefore my soul did rest. What is What a statement that is. It seems like Enos, it seems like there was an understanding that he had of God, um, that there's a necessity to triumph in that time of prayer, you know, and to not, not, g- give not go away. Yeah, yeah, and just say, I'll pick up tomorrow. Or um, It seemed like there was really, there was a, a obstacle in his place, or there was a goal in his mind, or a, a an answer that he was looking for. And he just had this fortitude that I need to go until I know that God's will has been done, mm. even if it's me requesting it. And then once it was, he, he did rest. Mm. I don't, uh, I'm trying to think in my life, have I had an experience like that where I just kept wrestling with God and praying and praying until, I don't know, you would say you find peace or, you receive a knowledge that God's heard you and he's going to answer you and that all is well with your soul
0: yeah exactly his words it, where where you come to this point where you feel like your soul rests because mm-hmm. of that i've done what i can do i've i've given it my all and and now you receive that comfort you were looking for and and sometimes you know that comfort he didn't know where this was going when he's, when he's praying for these things. He just knows, hey, all of a sudden my, sar- my, my soul is overflowing for my brethren. Now my soul is overflowing for our enemies. And, and all of a sudden all he feels is like compassion for all these people. It, it's so far beyond him. That's like you point out the thing that happens from a changed heart. He, he starts his story
1: saying, I tell you of the wrestle which I had before God before I received a remission of my sins. I wonder what that word wrestle, isn't that used when Jacob was wrestling with the angel? Oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder what that Hebrew oh, meaning of that word wrestle is. Oh, my is. gosh.
0: You, you you bring this up, Mike. So this morning um, in, the, in the early hours, I was awake, and I was going to get on the computer and start doing some stuff on Restored Gospel, and I just thought, no, just open the word for a while. And what I came upon was a word... <laughs> This is this is too coincidental. Uh, that's in the restored covenant version of the Book of Mormon, but it was changed in the 1908 version. And the the word is this: it's woundedness, woundedness. Now, why does that matter? Um, let me find the verse real quick, and I want I want to read it, and then I want to tell you what it was changed to, but why this is interesting in in the context of what you just said. So, this verse comes from the First Book of Nephi, chapter three. Verse 179 in the RLDS. It's chapter 13, verse 32 in the LDS. But in this context of the story that we're maybe leading up to here, where the Gentiles would get this work first, that Enos was praying would be preserved. It would come to the Gentiles before it would come back to his people. It states, Neither will the Lord God suffer that the Gentiles shall forever remain in this awful state of woundedness, which thou beheld, That they are in because of the plain and precious parts of the gospel of the lamb, which have been kept back from them. Well, what's interesting is that in this, ever since 1837, all the editions of the Book of Mormon changed that word to blindness. Woundedness wasn't even a word that we used, but it is. It was used in the Hebrew. And I just found this out this morning, and I was trying to find where is woundedness used. And without giving you a bunch of sources and stuff... I found uh, someone who had some uh, knowledge and authority uh, of the Hebrew who was talking about the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel. Now, you just mentioned wrestling. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we have the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel. And this word that this rabbi uses to describe what happens to his leg, he said, was woundedness. And he said, this wound that becomes Jacob's, his limitation eventually becomes his salvation. It's the thing that brings him, you know, you'd think it causes a separation, but it's the thing that causes him to come back to God. Well, it's a beautiful metaphorical parallel here that God is saying, hey, I'm not going to allow the Gentiles to remain in this awful state of woundedness. It's the same idea of what happens to Jacob's leg in the Hebrew, that this, this thing that God allowed to happen also eventually leads to healing. And so the woundedness is the exact correct word. Jacob's wrestle and 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 Enos's wrestle, they're they're on the same parallel. One's a physical and one's a spiritual, but in the end, the whole thing is that they both receive promises. The, Jacob receives a promise that his children and nations the nations that come from them will will be remembered in God's covenants you know the, Abraham and Isaac were his f- father and grandfather and these people had promises by God that God was going to fulfill and do great things well Jacob receives his promises yes it'll come through you and this this whole wrestle was sort of this physical um, part of what was the struggle now it's it's not coincidental that here we see Enos wrestling using the same word. Mm-hmm. And then he and then this woundedness that the Gentiles receive, our woundedness means our wrestle by struggling because we didn't have God's word is now healed by God bringing the word to us. And so, I don't know, my mind just spins around these things sometimes when I find these words. And it was just this morning before we started the podcast, before it came over, that this... Scripture, I was, I was reading and studying and kind of had to put an end to quickly, but the fact that this whole idea of these wrestles and the wounds that happened are, are also just like the story of the flaming serpent in Israel's day that bites and kills, but if they would look to the serpent, brings healing. It's the same idea all the way around. It's, it's God's miraculous power to bring us back to him.
1: But before he received a remission of his sins he had a wrestle with god uh that's that's something to think about that's a pretty pretty clear word picture there sometimes i well just the the goal or the the image that maybe we give up too easily or Maybe we don't like the struggle, but don't, don't walk away from the struggle. But also I think the main point is we have to be, we have to have our sins remitted. We have mm-hmm. to feel clean. And really if we want to be at any worth to our brothers and sisters around us, to the world that's in so, so much need of the story of Christ is that we we can't walk out into the world and be of use to it. If we're carrying around our own sins, um, I think that that act of forgiveness, that act of being clean, to have our sins remitted, gives us the power of love that allows us to, to carry weight and spirituality to the world, that to carry the message of Jesus and to have it do its job. Otherwise, we're just sinful people doing... <laughs> doing things under our own strength. Yeah, yeah. But but the Spirit of God is what cleanses you. You, He has to have the Spirit of God within him when he's he's remitted of his sins and he feels clean and his guilt was swept away. (laughs) He says, how is this done? Because of your faith in Christ, which you haven't seen or heard. And thou, it says, I heard these words, I began to desire for the welfare of my brother and the Nephites. Right. The exact same language that Lehi uses. And when I partook of that fruit, I began to desire that my family would come and partake also. And so our motivations to go out and help the world can't be our own sinful motivations. And that's that gets really muddy in the world sometimes. What looks like good is not a good work at all. It has to be born out of a heart that has been clean and remitted from the sins and, and cleansed, right? And right. so it's a cleansed pure heart. love for others that drives that struggle.
0: When when Enos continues this story, it's uh, interesting that exactly what you described uh, becomes the next statements. I, I never realized this either. I always thought the story was just about his prayers in the woods that day. But when he's stating what happened and how his soul was at rest, he says this, verse 29, now it came to pass that I Enos, went about among the people of Nephi, prophesying of the things to come and testifying of the things which I had seen and heard. So that change in his soul, now he wanted to, con- he couldn't contain it, he wanted to tell other people. So now he's like going around among his people, and he said, I bear record that the people of Nephi did seek diligently to restore the Lamanites under the true faith of God. But our labors were in vain. Their hatred was fixed. Their
1: hatred was fixed. Think about that right now. What does that Mm. mean? Their (laughs) hatred was fixed. Can
0: you see that all around us? My gosh.
1: They were led by their evil nature. They became wild and ferocious and a bloodthirsty people,
0: full of idolatry
1: and filthiness
0: you know and then this physical description of them later there's got to be a a spiritual parallel in our culture right today you know maybe people aren't walking around in, in skins you know drinking the blood of animals but they're they're believing in the same idolatrous from the same author of sin who put it in the hearts of these people thousands of years ago now he's putting it in the hearts of people to rebel against God and the ways of God
1: if you want to translate that into Um, trying to fix things in our society today. What's the message of the Book of Mormon here? It says, There was nothing, nothing else save it were preaching, prophesying of wars, contentions, destructions, and continually reminding them of death and the duration of eternity and the judgments and the power of God in all these things stirring them up continually to keep them in the fear of the Lord. I say there is nothing short of these things and exceedingly great plainness of speech that would keep them from going down speedily to destruction.
0: Mm-hmm. And and that's where we're at. You know, I'm way over here, Mike. It's like I turned on one of the Christian radio stations and they were talking about some of because it's election time, and they're talking about how politics you know affect our nation in terms of the laws and what they reflect about our ideas towards God. And in this segment, they played about a 15 minute clip from um, one of the uh, distinguished senators uh, of, of our of recent days, Henry Hyde from uh, from Illinois. and this was back in the 1970s. When the topic of abortion was just kind of newly being discussed in this um, in, in the in the venues of, of Congress, and it was like it was something the people of our nation weren't even informed of yet as far as it was just kind of unfolding. And Henry Hyde, he was he was a man of faith. He was blessed as a distinguished orator, I mean to have his gift. There was there are few in our day who could speak and he did nothing to promote himself. He was just was given a gift to explain. I would have put him up there with someone like a Nephi who could explain. Well, listen to this clip. You can find it. Henry Hyde and and, and uh, yes, it's it's a grisly discussion because he says this. He's speaking to on on the Senate floor and he's saying, If I'm not plain and obvious and grisly said it's going to nothing will prevent you from your own destruction. He said, it's not young children who are dying, it's we who are dying because of what's going on here. And he he describes not so much the clinical procedure, but just the spiritual death that our country is facing if if we allow these ideas that we say are done in the name of justice. He said, this is the biggest disgrace that we are, um, you know, we, we say these things... In the name of justice, we're disgracing justice by by doing this. These euphemisms like the word choice, you know, are 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 some of the worst things to show this desperate situation we're in. I can't state it the way he said it, but if if you want to listen, and it might not be something you want to listen to with, with the children around, but you will hear what Anus is stating right here that's happened in the halls of our Congress, where he says in verse 39, I say there was nothing short of a, a great plainness of speech that would keep them from going down speedily to destruction, you know, even in our day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, Henry Hyde is in 1975, I think his address to Congress on abortion and you'll find it, listen to it and you'll know what I mean. And it's, it's powerful. These are powerful, inspired words that he spoke in that day. But to the more point um, in, in this day, Enos gets this promise. And as, as you state, Mike, there, there's, a, there's a beautiful parallel understanding of the fact that when our hearts are changed and cleansed, that we have this, that's the real passion. It's not motivated by politics. It's, it's not motivated by climate change. It's not motivated by the things that we think are the important thing. It's motivated by a desire for people to come back to God and to be aligned with his ways. That's, that's the passion that changes people.
1: Um what else you get? I'm not sure to go from here.
0: Well, so um in the in the next phase of this, I, I just wanted to bear out that the fact that this record would be preserved, coming coming back to this story where Enos is he has a desire, his soul is comforted when God promises, I'm gonna preserve this record, I'm gonna make a covenant, and he says in verse 26 of this uh, single chapter of Enos. He covenanted with me that he would bring them forth unto the Lamanites in his own due time. I, I share this because we have to remember this larger story in, in context. And, and I want to bring this back to us now. Uh, this book came not back, you know, it didn't come back to the Lamanites. Uh, it came back to us. The Book of Mormon said it would come to the Gentiles first, the people of our nation. Now, I want to distinguish, you know, we say, well, aren't we Israel, aren't we Latter-day Israel? And it's like, yeah, yes and no. The the covenant aspect, yes, but we are the nation of the gentiles to whom the Book of Mormon returned. Well, there's specific words back in 2 Nephi chapter 12 that we discussed in the previous podcast when we were talking about how God would speak to all the nations. Well, it comes with a warning. And and the warning is is like this verse 75 2 Nephi chapter 12 verse 75 in the RLDS. he said i want to speak to you so nephi says he says for i nephi don't want you to suppose that you are more righteous than the gentiles shall be now he's speaking to the people whoever are his own people um, but he says don't don't assume here any better because you've had this word but then he says something about the gentiles he said except you all shall keep the commandments of god ye shall all likewise perish now so he's distinguishing saying hey don't think you're special because god separated you from jerusalem for instance but he's also telling us gentiles he's about to don't think you're special just because the book came back to you and to the jews don't think you're special because i said hey you're my my covenant people there's a there's a bottom there's common denominator For all these people, if you're God's people, and it says this, verse 76, except you keep the commandments of God, you shall all likewise perish. And because of the words which have been spoken, don't suppose that the Gentiles are going to be destroyed either because there's warnings against the Gentiles, the fact that we would receive this word and reject it. But he says this, and, and here's the bottom line, I say unto you, as many of the Gentiles as will repent, are the covenant people of the Lord and as many of the Jews as will not repent shall be cast off. For the Lord covenanted with none, covenanted with none, save it be with them that repent and believe on his son, which is the Holy One of Israel. So so the point is this, he's saying to the Jews, hey, don't think just because you were a Jew that somehow you're in and you made it because of your lineage. All right. right, don't. And he says to the Gentiles, don't think, that you're you know, the only thing that the story's about just because maybe the Book of Mormon came to you or your people. He said, the bottom line is this, you all have to have a change of heart. You all have to repent and come to me. That's what matters in the end, no matter who your parents were, what nation you were born into, right? This is what brings us all back home to a level playing field. That's a real clear message
1: in the Book of Mormon. Um, I had a friend one time, a Catholic that asked me about well, why, why would God choose or prefer one group of people over another, you know, meaning the Jews? And, um, maybe we look at that word chosen doesn't mean, um, that I, that I hold you up in higher esteem than someone else as much as, um, I'm choosing to do my work through you, uh, my work, not your work, my work through you and the Book of Mormon message is very clear that both Jew and Gentile in many places are equal, that it all, like you just pointed out, all comes back to um, whoever's repented and come unto Christ um, is numbered, uh, is, is a child of God. As many Gentiles as will repent are a covenant people of the Lord. As many as Jews that won't repent are not a covenant people of the Lord. So that's, it's all based on your repentance and your desire to follow him not your lineage, you yes. know.
0: And, and the reason we hear you use that word that chosen people or covenant people, it was reiterated by Moses in his closing words to Israel in, in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six and seven and eight, he says this, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Now, if you take that scripture by itself, you kind of get puffed up in a big head. It's like, hey, God chose us above all the people on the earth. But when you keep reading, he says, for this reason, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. He said he he didn't pick you because you're a great large nation. He picked you. You are the smallest of people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would, here it is, keep the oath which he hath sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord you brought, brought you out of this mighty uh, with a mighty hand, redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So the point is this, he said, God didn't just pick you because you were special. God picked you because He made a promise with your forefathers. That's exactly what the Book of Mormon saying all along. Mm-hmm. And this is this is you know this covenant with Abraham. This is exactly what Nephi is saying: he's, God made a covenant with Abraham, and He's not going to forget it. So it has nothing to do with being special or or chosen or you know the teacher's pet, if you will. But that's how almost every nation of people, including us, I think, sometimes in the restoration, have sometimes held our view of ourselves in light of great things God has done among us. I mean, we've had healings, we've had recent healings, I mean, even, even in your own family, Mike, marvelous testimonies of those that could cause us to say, well, we're obviously special. And it's like God is saying, anyone who covenants with me is special in that I want to offer everything I have to you, the salvation, come back. But we have to remember it's the change of heart that makes us qualified It's not the lineage or it's not the fact that, hey, God brought a book to us first. Mm. Yeah. America
1: also probably suffers from that as a chosen nation. And um, I think we're we're seeing that God will quickly remove that pride from the nation as it is right now as well.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, too, uh, back to the story of Enos, which I, I just think is so rich, you know, short chapter. Don't skip over it. There's a lot to be uh, gleaned from this. Uh, in verse 35, after he's after Enos is back, now he's prophesying to his people, trying diligently to restore the Lamanites who aren't responding because of their fixed hatred. He says in verse 35, There were exceeding many prophets among us, but the people were stiff-necked, and and they were hard to understand. And then it was nothing short of this harshness that would get their attention, as you point out. But but this exceeding many prophets among us. I mean, we've got this now as well. I mean, we people might not be calling themselves prophets. And I'm like, I, I what I'm not getting I I'm not saying, you know, plenary what's the word, plenary revelation where, you know, people are saying, you know, an angel came to me and I'm writing this down. I'm just saying people who are willing to rightly do discern and divide the word of God and share it with people and say, look, we're facing a harsh reality if we go down this road. I think that's what's meant by prophets. And I believe our society has that today too. Whether or not you're a one who believes in, you know, continual revelation, I'm not even going there. I'm just saying that when God inspires people to come back to the truth and repent, those are prophetic words, right? Because they're inspired by him, by people who have a change of heart. I think that's what it means by prophets here. You know, there were a lot of people out there trying to warn and they were doing it righteously from the words of God which had been inspired and given to them. Right. And I believe we're seeing that in our day. But the the words of the prophets are being censored and squelched out, you know, and uh and they're being drowned out by the by the music of the evil one. Enos has a really good um
1: final place that he comes to when he says I've declared it in my days and rejoiced in it above that of the world Mm. and that's the word according to the truth which is in Christ and soon I go to a place of my rest which is with my redeemer for I know that in him I shall rest that knowledge that in Christ is where our true rest comes from, that where we are at peace and we know that his ways are the law and they're, they're guiding all things that are all workings. You know, we're completely in him and, and his ways are around us. We're, we are resting in him. I know that in him I shall rest and I rejoice in that day when my mortal body shall put on immortality and shall stand before him then i shall see his place with his face with pleasure and he will say unto me come unto me ye blessed there is a place prepared for you in the mansions of my father it reminds me of the often quoted uh, verse in the bible uh, you know where paul says well, well done my good and faithful servant and we we say that a lot you know in prayers you know may i may i stand at that day and hear those words well done well here's a here's a beautiful one that that Enos says along the same lines, and then I shall see his face and he will say unto me, come unto me ye blessed. Can you imagine being in a place in your life, Corey, where you're speaking out of a place of knowledge, you know, by that Holy Spirit of promise, knowing and that you can honestly stay with your heart and I'll go to Jesus at that day and he'll say, come unto me, Mike, you Mm. are blessed and and have no thought otherwise to just know that. Mm. That's Mm. what comes when you, when you feel clean and when you're forgiven and your sins have been remitted that's that's the natural uh that's what you're left with that knowledge that you will be with Christ in the
0: end and it'll be pleasurable mm-hmm. and I'm I'm watching you saying that with with this smile on your face thinking of how sweet that is and how pure that is and it's like that's what we all need and that's what that's what he offers us is is that knowledge to know that has to be I think one of the greatest um crimes of our day is that somehow in our telling of the gospel we have um cast doubt on the fact that we could know that we have that assurance of that our sin can be removed and that we can be clean and that he offers i mean there's a most of our days I have to admit for me, I feel down like me I've done so much to mess up you know I just like i must i think I grew up most of my life thinking God is mad at me, which was wrong you know but but yet. Um, this assurance that he he loves us and he has not made the rules complicated, and that there is there should be no doubt that we if we know we are trying and we are know we know that we want him above the other things of this world, and that our heart truly wants that that we have this assurance. As Enos writes, that he will say to me, "Come unto me, you blessed. There's a place prepared for you." You know. I just think that's part of this hope that comes from this word that for me unshackled me to know that it wasn't the message that I had heard all my life. Well, you got to do good enough and you, you got to do better And unless everything is and your life is perfect. Somehow you aren't going to have that. You know, I mean, that's the burden I think I carried most of my life until I started reading the book of Mormon. And it's like, no, that's not what it's been saying. It's like, if you're struggling, come to me and I'll, I can lift that burden and I can give you that assurance that you will have life with me, that the sin will be that barrier between you and me right now will be removed as far as the east is from the west.
1: Yeah, when Enos says uh, towards the end that he's going down to his grave and that he's been wrought upon by the power of God that he must preach, prophesy unto the people, and declare the word according to the truth which is in Christ. And then listen to this. And I have declared it in all my days, and I have rejoiced in it above that of the world. Mm, mm. There's Those are those times when, when I'm reading this word, and it seems the only thing true and real to me, and it's just this this little haven of safety as you're engaged with these words and and the truth surrounds you and isn't that beautiful but when you leave that space you shouldn't you shouldn't leave that space and and so that's maybe why we need to have that word dwelling in us uh continually so that we're not um looking in the mirror and then walking away and forgetting you know who we are um, that we don't have to continually write it down, but it's written on our hearts that that truth that's in christ is is
0: is Better than that of the world. Rejoiced in it. Above anything in the world. Above anything in the world. You know, I I never realized this either until even just right now as we're talking, having our casual conversation of things of eternity, that this small chapter of Enos, what I thought was just a little snippet out of his diary one day in the woods when I prayed, I realized, no, this is his life story because he's summarizing it now saying, Hey, I've declared this all my days and rejoice that above the world. He's like, he must be starting out with something happened early in his life. You know, he's talking about his father's words that Mm -hmm. sunk in his heart. And it's interesting, you know, can you imagine summarizing your whole life story in just about 40 verses? I mean, I'd want to talk about where I went to high school and the time I fell off my bike Mm -hmm. and the different things that happened. to me. And, And yet he summarizes it so beautifully by simply saying the wrestle of my soul. The, the the sweeping away of my guilt, the compassion I had for my other people, the promise I had from God, and I've declared it all my days, you know? <laughs> born again. He was born again he at was that born moment, again. born of the spirit. And and so what this ends up being, I'm, I'm thinking, is no, this is the summary of the most important things in his life. My heart changed. I had compassion for other people. I wanted to give the rest of my life telling people that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. It truly is. So from here, this story is only beginning that God speaks to all nations so that we can be judged by his word and that it's a good thing, not not a weird thing to expect that God would have done that. We get now a promise specifically to a group of people who are in America that God would speak to them, that some would resent it, their hatred would be fixed against it but that he would yet have compassion to them, that his hand would be stretched out still towards them by preserving a record in the ground. And so from there, their own people prayed for the future of their people that they would come back to God again. And so the next part of the story is, so how does that actually come back to them? And, and this is where we come into the picture. Mm. So so that's probably for uh the next episode. I'm really enjoying this man. The story of Enos is I think got a lot of power in it.
1: I like it. I like the fact that it um well, it gives you a little bit of prophecy, a little bit of a story of how things will play out from a very broad sense. It also um, is a personal testimony underlying everything of a born again experience. Mm. Um and it, and it shows, we focus on, and I've heard it many times, we focus on, oh, to be like Enos, to pray day and night, you know, and, um, you know, how could he find that diligence to cry out all day long, and that is amazing, but it seems like when he started out doing that, he was like you and I, I mean, he was, he just had questions, he had questions, he's walking in the woods, he's pondering on things he's heard about God. Uh, I have to believe that the Spirit moved upon him to, rem- to bring those things to his remembrance, and, and it was initiated by the Spirit, and, and he had a great struggle. But what about the born-again
0: experience yes. and then the life-changing event? That was the catalyst that made it happen. And, and you just think, here again, one man's change of heart Leads to promises and covenants that change the rest of the world, the course of the future. Right, God, you know. Now, now, I, I need to qualify this and say it wasn't just singular to Enos that he praised this because uh, in verse twenty-seven, where he receives this covenant, and and he says, "I knew that it would be according to the covenant which he had made." Wherefore my soul did rest. The next verse states, "The Lord said unto me." thy fathers have also required of me this thing. So he's like, you know, he's saying, you're not the only one who's prayed this, but it's recorded that it's prayed in this manner. And it was, this is why the Book of Mormon says the words will come forth like those who, words from the dust. It uses that phrase, word from the dust. Those who have slumbered, those are going to come back and those words become fulfilled. Those are the roots that are still alive. These promises That God made because he said, your other fathers required this of me too. You know, it's no coincidence that it's in your DNA to want this perhaps. But he says, and it shall be done unto them according to their faith, for their faith was like unto thine. You know, it's like he said, there have been many people who've prayed and asked for the same thing. When they finally remove themselves from their own personal struggle of their own life, not not to invalidate that because... Enos so beautifully points this out it always our our journey with God always starts with our struggles it, we have them to bring us to him but once we come to him and our hearts change that's when he can magnify his power through us that's when we can do greater things but it's when that change of heart occurs we're we're, we're nothing without him but we're we're less than nothing without that change of heart and when that change of heart happens then we see the things that he ordained us for you know, his purpose for us. I mean, I don't mean ordaining the sense of priesthood. I mean, the things that he has for us, whether they're little or great, it doesn't matter. It's whatever he wants us to do. That story begins at chapter one after our change of heart.
1: I like the several things that were solidified in Enos' mind after he received forgiveness. Number one, he realized that only the word of God and only the truth of the word of God— and the preaching of that, in its simplicity, and in its truth, meaning you know, double-edged sword, you know, to, to mercy or justice, or to be condemned to hell. That only these things would give any hope to those that were hard-hearted. It's it's not pacifying them with what they want, but it's the preaching of the true word of God. He said that's the only thing that would fix their harshness, um, or or they even had any any sort of hope. And then also that. That word of Christ became, you know, sweet to him above all else, uh, above the world. And, and he spent the rest of his days doing that work. And that's the result of a born again experience with the Lord.
0: Which is the message of the Book of Mormon that, in the words of Alma, marvel not that all mankind must be born again. Mm-hmm. We have to change, you know, it's so beautiful.
1: So. Well, we, um, not sure if we, Ended up from where we started or we started f- considering where we were gonna end, but, but <laughs> either but in way and
0: you know what? We're all just walking each other home. I got to it before you asked me to. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We're gonna continue next time and we're gonna say, Okay, this word was preserved to bring the Lamanites back, but who gets it first and what's the rest of that story coming up next time? I'm excited, I can't wait. Me Talk too. to you later. Bye.